0: God ready to cut your tree down? Matthew 3, verse 10, and says, And even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. For just a few moments, I'd like for you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Place you a marker there. And then go with me to Luke, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And I want you to place another marker there because we will be this morning studying the lesson, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Matthew 3, 1, he says, In those days, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, he tells us in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Luke is focusing for us the year in which this occurred. He goes on to tell us the other rulers that are reigning. This is approximately A.D. 29. John the Baptist is beginning his personal ministry. He's starting his job as a preacher for God. We learn from Jesus later on, reflecting upon the life of John the Baptist, that he was someone special. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 7, going through verse 14. As they departed, Jesus began to say to them, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Jesus was trying to get people to realize what kind of man John was. A reed shaken in the wind? Those people today who, when they're trying to decide politically what they want to believe and stand for, we will use an illustration that they'll lick their finger and put it up in the air and see which way the winds are blowing. To use this illustration that is found here, the reed shaken in the wind, John the Baptist did not bow to political pressure. The pressure of important people. Jesus said, why did you go out in the wilderness to see? A man clothed in soft clothing or soft raiment? Were you looking for someone who was in search of a cushy life? One who was enjoying the good to be given? Matthew 3, Luke 3 tell us that Jesus or John the Baptist was in the wilderness That he wore camel's hair and a leather girdle or leather belt. Locust and wild honey were his food. You didn't go out and see a man wearing soft clothes. He said, indeed, those who wear soft clothing are found in king's houses. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A prophet? Jesus said, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. And then he goes on to say in verse fourteen, and if you are willing, this is the Elijah who was to come. John the Baptist is somebody special. His message is special. If you read Luke's three's account with regards to what John the did, he was preaching a baptism of. Repentance for remission of sins. Matthew's account records the topic or the title if you will. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many people were impressed by this message? Look with me at Matthew 3 verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem and all Judea And all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Wow. We have trouble getting people to come to an air-conditioned building to sit on padded pews to uh, be uh, welcomed. John went out into the wilderness a very inhospitable place. And it says all Judea went out. All around the Jordan went out to be baptized by him, confessing their sins. What a powerful meeting that was. Some of the people who arrived. Evidently were there because they were broken in their sins. Honest people with an honest heart. Realizing their sinful ways. They came confessing their deeds. But Matthew and Luke both record. But when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. Oh there's some people who were going to come. For less than honorable reasons. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, were your political parties of the Jewish nation. And they're not there for the right reason. And so John will rebuke them, and he will give them a message. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. This morning, if you will, I'd like to discuss with you three important points from this passage. Number one is a response to a revivalistic message. John's got a message. How will they respond to it? Number two, I would like for us to look at the role of repentance in changing their lives. And then number three, for us to look at the result of rejecting the message that John will preach. Okay, let's look now to begin with, with regards to John and the response to a revivalistic message. John's a revivalist. He's not a person out here simply just going to make people happy. Revival means that you go and you try to change people who they are from the inside out. I want you to back up with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. We'll spend just a moment here at this verse. Luke 1 and verse 17. Zacharias has been told that he will have a son and his name will be John. He is going to be a special son. And in Luke 1 and verse 17, Luke records, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Think about what was told to Zacharias. He will go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You remember in Matthew 11 and verse 14, Jesus said, If you will accept it, this is the Elijah who was to come. What is it that is so special about Elijah? And how does John fit into that mold? Flip back with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me take a moment to explain to you the background of what is occurring in this passage. The wicked king's name was Ahab. He had married an awful woman by the name of Jezebel. Through her influence, the Baals, the false god Baals, had been brought in to the northern kingdom. And because of that, Elijah had prayed that it would not rain, and it had not rained for three years. The famine was becoming very, very difficult upon the people. Ahab wanted to meet Elijah face to face. And God told him, You go meet him face to face. And as soon as they do meet, Ahab looks at Elijah and says to him, Are you the troubler of Israel? Elijah did not cower. He didn't humble himself before that king. He said... You, O king, are the troubler of Israel. You and your father's house. You brought the Baal in. And he told him, Let's get the people together. Look with me now at verse 20. So I have sent for all the children of Israel and gathered all the prophets together on Mount Carmel. That's Ahab who's called them together. He's about ready to put Elijah in his place. Notice carefully how Elijah is going to respond in verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If God is, or the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Do you want to know what Elijah was doing? He was pointing at the people, all those people, and saying to them, You make up your mind. Are you on God's side? Are you on Baal's side? I really like the way the older translations put it. How long will you go limping between two opinions? And that's the idea. You're like a bunch of disabled people who can't even make up your minds. And notice the way the people responded. They didn't answer him a word. They knew they were in a situation or a place where they ought not be. Let me ask you a question. What was John the Baptist trying to do in Matthew 3 and Luke 3? Was he not in the spirit and the power of Elijah looking at the people and saying, Make up your mind. Either you're going to serve God or you're not going to serve God. You can't somehow stand in the middle. We have got way too many people who claim to be Christians today who are trying to straddle the fence. They're trying to keep one foot in the world and enjoy all the pleasures, the sinful ways of the world, and then yet at the same time want to call upon God and say, I'm one of yours. And John the Baptist said, no, you're not. The axe is even now laid at the root of the trees. Second point of Luke 1 and verse 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If you want to flip back to Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Because this is from where the passage is derived. As Malachi closes the Old Testament scriptures. This great prophet of God has rebuked the people for their lack of sincerity. And their lack of devotion. And he comes to chapter 4 and he tells them there's going to come one, a son of righteousness. And he's going to tell them to remember the law of Moses. He's going to say you need a revival among you. And in quoting about the coming of the Elijah, it says there in verse 5, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What would that mean? What that means in its context is that fathers would be concerned about their children And the direction they are going. And when you come to look at Luke 1 and verse 17. And Zacharias is being told. Your son John the Baptist will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. They've got to start looking. Where are we leading our children? We love our children. We want them to turn out great. Some of you are working very hard to make sure your children are educated. You want them to be able to get a good job, make a good living, be able to provide for their families. Folks, let me ask you a question. What are you looking out for your children spiritually? The hearts of the fathers are to be turned to the children. Are we leading our children in the right way spiritually? John the Baptist is going to look at these people and say to them, Don't you say we're children of Abraham. God is able to raise up of these stones children to Abraham. Where are you leading your children? What a revivalistic message that is. When you call upon fathers to be fathers and lead their children in the right way. Third point from Luke 1 and verse 17 to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Men have to be shown how unwise their ways really are. If a man takes his money and just piddles it away, and he doesn't show any sort of concern, it's not being wise. John the Baptist is going to have to show people your activity, spiritually speaking, has been unwise to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Next, to make a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist's job is to get people ready. He's there to soften up their hearts, to get them to change. I'll tell you the reason why I chose this sermon for today. Two weeks from right now, Brother Larry Acuff is going to be standing in this pulpit preaching the gospel. And I know that in preparing for a meeting sometimes, You want to prepare the building. We want it to look good. The grounds. We want to prepare everything and have it just right. But do you want me to tell you something? If there's still dirt on the floor, if there's still other things going... John the Baptist was in the wilderness, folks. The externals were not nearly as important for him as preparing the hearts... Of the people. And let me tell you, real revivalistic preaching is aimed at the heart. Listen to Romans 10, verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word we preach. That is the word of faith, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Aim at the heart, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Or Hebrews 4, verse 12. After Peter and the apostles stood up and preached, Acts 2, verse 37 says, And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to one another, men and brethren, what shall we do? Real, revivalistic preaching cuts people in the heart. And it makes them evaluate their lives. The very best preaching is one that allows the Word of God to shine through and reflect to people. Turn with me now to James chapter 1 beginning with verse 22. James 1 beginning with verse 22. And James writes, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, not being a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in his doing. You see, what you should be able to do is to have someone take the word and put it in front of you. And what does that word do? It reflects back to you who you really are. Just like a mirror reflects who you really are. John the Baptist did not try to polish that mirror so it distorted the view of man. Now John preached that word so that it showed the people to be sinners. Yes, that's right. Real revivalistic preaching doesn't say, I'm okay, you're okay. Revivalistic preaching says I am a sinner, you are a sinner, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we've got something to fix and we can't fix it ourselves. This response to this revivalistic preaching was for John to look at the Pharisees and Sadducees who were coming to his baptism, and to say to them, Oh, you nice, wonderful people. No, that's not what he said. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist reflected back to them you're the offspring of poisonous snakes. Now he's not speaking to everyone. He's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Evidently there were some who came according to verses 5 and 6 with every intention of doing right but again there's some who are not. But see that's what God's word does. It reflects to us who we really are. And what we need to fix and how it needs to be fixed. I don't know why some Sundays when I get ready to preach, I look up at the clock and I think, I've got one point covered and I've got two points left to go. And so as Paul Harvey would say, if you want the rest of the story, you come back tonight. Because we're going to talk about the role of repentance and where it fits into God's divine plan in this revivalistic message. And we're also going to talk about the result of rejecting the message that God has provided. If you'll open your psalm book to number 67, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. That's exactly what John the Baptist would say. Bring Christ your broken life, marred with sin. It's very likely that this morning we have people here whose lives are marred with sin. And we have a Savior who is willing to forgive those sins. And if you need to become a Christian by being baptized for the remission of your sins, don't wait. Don't wait. Do it that this morning. If you say, I, I'm nervous about coming in front of a group of people, I understand that. You can be baptized this afternoon, but don't wait. If you are a child of God... And you're looking at your life and you realize, I have not been living the way God wants me to live. You know what you need to do. You're a Christian. You understand that. And so you know that you need to take care of that immediately. If you're subject to the Savior's invitation, would you come as we stand and sing?